Hello again, and welcome to Planet Beyond Podcast. We're back in our studio on the Fugro stand at Oceanology International 2022, talking about our net zero journey and focusing on our progress with future fuels. As the world transitions to decarbonize energy systems, the vessels that work offshore supporting the ocean economy are on the same journey. In this episode, we talked with two leaders in the industry to discover how they are preparing for the future. Ben Simpson is the CEO of Seakit International, which sends its high-tech, uncrewed vessels out on a mission all over the world. And Peter Toxopaeus is Fugro's fleet development manager responsible for 25 offshore survey vessels. Ben, maybe, can we start with you? Please could you tell us a bit about what Seakit does and maybe, maybe introduce yourself as well. Hi John, thanks for having me. Um, Seakit International designs, builds and integrates robust offshore platforms. Fundamentally, we started to, um, to reduce CO2 emissions uh, for, and, and cost of data collection um, offshore. I've either been operating, designing or building vessels all my life, but for the past 15 years, predominantly really been trying to reduce uh, the fuel burn offshore. The parent company, Housecraft, was conceived whilst I was sailing around the world on very heavy fuel burning super yachts. And uh, it was really to introduce hybrid systems to those super yachts um, to reduce uh, fuel burn. But then in 2016, we were contracted to design and build subsequently and won the um, Jebco entry for the Shell Ocean Discovery X Prize. Since then we've uh, built three and delivered, well, three commercial, fully operational um, USVs to Fugro and we have three more in build. Peter, 25 vessels. Look, I know there's always a bigger fish in the pond, but it sounds a lot to me. Maybe you could tell us what your focus is right now when it comes to the clean power for, the, for these vessels. Well, thank you, John. As a fleet development manager, I'm uh, looking at our 25 vessels that operate globally and looking towards the future of our fleet. How does it look like? What does it compose of? And uh, how do we uh, move towards net zero? We have our own targets for decarbonization, first in 2025 to reduce our carbon emissions by 20%, and then in 2035 to go to net zero for our own operations. So, what we're talking here then about bringing new types of vessels or converting the power source for, for existing vessels, yeah? Indeed, yeah, the current, the current fuel that we use is diesel, and that's carbon emitting, and um, we are looking to either remove the carbon from the fuel or to use less fuel. And for that, we have set up a program uh, consisting of 24 uh, projects. 24 projects that, that, that are looking at short-term and the long-term, both in efficiency, less energy required, or decarbonization of the fuel, so an alternative fuel. In the short-term, we use HVO biofuel, biodiesel, and in the long term, we are aiming to use uh, green methanol as a, as a decarbonized fuel. Oh, the backbone of Seakit Vessels really is, is, is electric. It's a hybrid platform. Um, and because it's electric, we can take um, any form of um, power generation. So we use uh, solar. We're just integrating with our collaborative partners, uh, Bramble Energy, uh, a hydrogen system, uh, which is fantastic, which will be demonstrated later this year. 
but fundamentally the, having electric backbone the system electric propulsion allows us to tap into that backbone so we can in, integrate it with wind energy uh, wave energy um, all of the above well I mean, can everything be done un- uncrewed? All changes are still hard, which is why another reason for getting rid of uh, uh, the, the, the fuel burning. Uh, and fundamentally, to get rid of that fuel burning, we need to use all the different options and obviously develop new ways of producing power for the vessels. And that's what really where the electric side of it comes in. I mean, we look at it like a, a, a mini um, national grid, really, where currently we have fossil fuels being burnt, whether it's coal or, or gas. Um, but we also have other taps coming in, renewable energy, wind and solar, and hydrogen as well coming slowly. But uh, if we've got that backbone of, uh, of the national grid, so to speak, a tiny version of it, as we phase out the, uh, the fossil fuels, we do that the same with the boats. And we rely more and more heavily on the alternatives. I, th- I think it's all about uh, using the right mix of, uh, of fuels, of, of measures, of crude or uncrewed that fit the purpose of the work that you're aiming to do. Now you just, you don't initially know what the right mix is, do you? Exactly, exactly. No, there's no one good fuel. There's no one good uh, uh, alternative green fuel. It's, it's the use case that you use it for that makes it good. And for us, for the, for the global fleet that we have and the range that we use, that's methanol because of its density and the, uh, the amount of uh, days the, that we can stay out at sea. For shorter ships, shorter range ships uh, that can be batteries, hydrogen or ammonia, and that, that's a combination of how long do you use it, where are you going, where can you bunker it, uh, what is the infrastructure, what is the legislation, etc. It's, it's, it's a mix. It is, it is complex, but, but that's also part of the journey that we're working towards. Fugra has set a target in 2035, which is relatively quickly, if you look at the long-range lifespan that our ships have of 30 plus years. So we are looking at our current fleet that already needs to be net zero and that needs to change. So we need to change our ships to reach that target. So we are actively working to look at uh, converting our ships uh, to use methanol, to be more efficient and to use to need less energy. I mean, you say methanol, but just for the listener, just take a step back and tell us what methanol is. So methanol is an, is an alcohol type that can be made of hydrogen and carbon. Uh, it has a less carbon content than diesel or oil. And uh, because it can be made out of carbon, it can be made of, out of renewable carbon. And that makes it a green fuel, at least for the foreseeable future. So it's a journey towards total decarbonization. But if you want to reach net zero in 2035, you've got to start using the technology that's already available. Yeah. Now, Ben, you you talked about your hybrid system, you talked about solar, but you also mentioned hydrogen as well. Where, where are you on that journey? Uh, hydrogen, yeah. We, we're, so we're developing a new system with uh, Bramall Energy as part of the Innovate UK CDMC project. It's, it's a great fuel uh, for, for low CO2, but, and the technology we're developing is going to be fantastic, but the infrastructure to be able to fuel quickly or fuel offshore perhaps you know, in the wind farms uh, is where it needs to be pushed as well, and currently that's not there. Innovate UK CMDC, or Clean Maritime Demonstration Competition, is part of a suite of interventions launched by the UK Shipping Office for reducing emissions which aims to transform the UK into a global leader 
in the design and manufacture of clean maritime technology. But don't you need more volume to, to store hydrogen? And you're talking about smaller vessels. Yeah, higher pressure cylinders for, um, for, for more compressed gas to, to make, make a better space, uh, use of space. Um, is another you know, technology or development in that process we've got to use. But again, again, it's a mix. So you use hydrogen together with other measures to create, to need less energy. Yeah. And then that compensates for the increased volume that you need for hydrogen. So using uh, batteries to, to need less energy, going to different, well, LED lighting, etc. Uh, small things that always require energy. If you can reduce the footprint of that, that can drastically increase your range, even with uh, hydrogen or batteries. Also, it's got to fit in with your concept of operations. I mean, when you're transiting out to a site to do work, you're burning an awful lot of fuel. When you're actually um, collecting the data in that position, your, your fuel burn might go down a lot more, so you would not be burning hydrogen, for instance. You could be relying on solar power, wind power, and, and wave effect. It's all got to get integrated. It's all got to get connected. You know, it's complex, but we can do it, is what I'm sort of hearing. Okay, now, how is it going? I mean, how is this development journey going? I mean, there's going to be barriers, aren't there? Let, let's, let's expand on that. Well, of course there are. And um, looking at the, the easy solutions yeah. there are there is uh, using less energy. So what I already said, the LED lighting, uh, 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 getting batteries on board, uh, cleaning the hull to use le to have less resistance in the water. Those are easy solutions that are difficult to implement. But if once implemented, it can really save a lot of uh, fuel. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good starting point. And it's also conceptually really acceptable by the general public because it's, it's very logical to use less fuel. We've seen the biggest saving in fuel just by taking people from offshore to onshore that don't need to be offshore. A lot of the work and processing that uh, is, is done historically has been done on the ships in real time there. That doesn't need to be done. We, we proved that in, in uh, our project called UTAS where uh, the actual hydrographers were based all around the world and we were sending the information out from the vessel for processing. And the vessel therefore didn't have to accommodate those people. And uh, the vessel would be much smaller. I mean, the, um, we proved that with our X-class vessels. But, um, and because of that, removing the people offshore, there's no accommodation, there's no kitchens, no, no air conditioning uh, for the people. And uh, you know, we proved a saving of 95% of uh, fuel burn in operations, which is uh, phenomenal. UTAS stands for Ungrewed Transatlantic Survey Project, where a 12-metre sea kit X-class USV spent 22 days completing offshore survey operations remotely controlled around the clock from a remote operations centre in Essex, UK, and completed the mapping of over 1,000 square kilometres of ocean floor off the European continental shelf. I want to get on to collaboration next, but something you said um, earlier which um, which I thought was quite amusing really there are unexpected barriers Ben I mean you told us a story about some birds or something yeah well, during that project UTAS um, you know sending a, an unmanned vessel out into the ocean where uh, there's not a lot for the birds to sit on and, uh, and there's nobody on board to scare the birds off and suddenly our, our very nice clean solar panels that were collecting energy um, weren't so clean anymore but it was, it was lovely to see them all sitting on deck having a rest <laughs> I love you looking to the positives right to collaboration obviously we've got to get it together to you know to really um, face this enormous challenge is this happening is everybody on this journey because I think in reality 
we have a, a big fleet there at, with 25 vessels, but there's some other bigger players that make a bigger difference as well. And you're pioneering, but it's still a drop in the ocean. It is, but someone has to start. Someone has to lead the way. And uh, uh, there's a lot of hesitancy to go to greener fuels because of all the hurdles that we can think of. But there, you see industry players uh, already going towards uh, uh, certain alternative fuels, choosing a direction, choosing a strategy, and um, setting up cooperations, industry, uh, joint industry programs to really develop the technology to be able to operate methanol, hydrogen, ammonia as, a, as fuel. And it's all hydrogen based. So in, in general, what we need is the hydrogen economy and then have a industry or an infrastructure that can, can facilitate the different fuels that, that we need which are all hydrogen based. You know, we've got some great programs for developing the technology, but it's the influencers and decision makers, you know, higher up that have to prioritize this when it comes to the, the tendering processes and decision making. Are they doing their job? Yeah, I mean, you know, Fugro have, have taken the decision to go this route. Um, obviously higher up, you need the, um, the, the tier ones to make that call. Um, when they're looking through the um, options of which vessels to use and why. I mean, it always strikes me that we are in this very important transition station at the same time as these actions that you're talking about, you've got to transition your thinking about the way you procure stuff. And that's what you're talking about. Start thinking about how you select which option you go for and making sure that these greener options are really higher up the, at the pecking order. Very good. Collaboration, though, really does, does mean opening up the Komodo to a degree. I mean, are people really sharing um, the advances that they've made in all the different areas? And I understand that we have to have some degree of competitive secrecy around some of these things, but again, the challenge is huge and we have just one planet. No, that's completely true. When you look at uh, uh, decarbonisation or the green technology for Fugro, that's not, that's not uh, uh, intellectual property that we want to own. We want to collaborate. We want other people to be able to uh, develop that technology for us to use. So for us, it's, it's crucially important to, to work together with the whole supply chain to develop the technology, the products and, and the fuels. In order for it to be commercialised, you've got to get the time offshore with this new technology to prove it. You know, it's going to fail in the beginning, but the more time you get offshore, you can pr prove it and get trust in those new fuels. Yeah. Uh, at that point, it can be embraced more. So it's a, it is a steep curve at the beginning of, it, of, of, of tough work. Has there been any policies worldwide which has really helped in this endeavour? What you at the moment see is the European Green Deal and the Fit for 55 policy that's out there that's really pushing the, uh, the, the diesel price up in the next decade. And that will, will make alternative fuels more affordable compared to the current solution, which is diesel. And uh, uh, it, it provides a proper business case to going towards green fuels instead of only looking at sustainability. And of course, sustainability is a big deal and it's really important. But the bottom line is it needs also to be affordable. The European Green Deal aims to boost the efficient use of resources by moving to a clean, circular economy and stop climate change. And the Fit for 55 package will enable the EU to reduce its net greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by 2030, compared to 1990 levels, and to achieve climate neutrality in 2050. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask who's paying for all this, but I mean, you know, 
it, it's a complex one again, isn't it? In the end, the client will pay for it, but we need to make sure that the client pays as, as less as possible. And that's by developing the, uh, the technology and make it more mature. Yeah, I mean, the Clean Marine Demonstrated um, Innovate UK project we're working on is, is all about making the hard work and costly part side of the development side of it, making that affordable so then that the client has got a real choice that's been developed and they can now say, I want that now. I don't want to have the risk of actually um, developing ourselves. Yeah, but we can't place this in their lap. We've got to, they've got to be engaged, haven't they, early on in this process. You know, it really is together. It is. We need to take them along in that journey. Yeah. Because otherwise they will, they will not understand it and they will not accept it. Are there any examples of us doing that collectively that we can share here? I mean, apart from the, the one I'm, I'm referring to, I mean, working with the um, Classification Society as well, um, particularly in the marine side that we're working with Lloyds, um, to be able to uh, do the work for the likes of the MCA, who are obviously doing safety cases for this, they can get involved with us to actually um, expedite that, tick in the box to make sure the safety case is done for it and uh, to get it there. And uh, so we're, we're sort of working with Fugro, MCA, Lloyds to get all that uh, done as soon as possible. MCA stands for Maritime and Coast Guard Agency. And they provide legislation and guidance on maritime matters and provide certification to seafarers. I mean, on that point, and, I, and now we're talking about safety and regulations, yeah? Um, I'm mindful that the current regulations are based on carbon LNG. Correct, yeah. correct. At the moment we are, looking, we are working with an industry platform in the Netherlands consisting of the full supply chain from fuel supplier, engine manufacturer, ship designers and ship owners, uh, shipyards, to, uh, to, to push the technology but also the readiness level of the technology to a next level to be able to, accept, uh, to be accepted by a classification, by a flag state, by a, an authority and a port uh, that we want to uh, operate in or out of. And, and that collaboration is really important to, to really push beyond what we, have, what we are currently working with, which is a legacy of a, uh, a LNG guidelines and a focus on focus on dangerous fuels without specifying what the danger is and what what we have seen is that the um, that the methanol but also uh, ammonia and hydrogen as in green fuels are hazardous more hazardous than diesel at the moment that's how we use it we have 70 years of experience with diesel so it's not solved in in one year but we haven't got 70 years now have we no we don't so we need to move away from the, the legacy that we have in LNG, which is a different fuel than, than uh, uh, hydrogen, ammonia and, and uh, uh, methanol. It's funny that ev every single privately owned boat outside has got a, a bottle of compressed explosive gas on it for cooking with. <laughs> but yet it's a big problem for us. <laughs> it is, but uh, that, that's from a legislation point of view, it's, it's, it's about fuel. And Cooking gas is not fuel, and that's that. That's the the the, the different mindset that we, you you get with. But isn't this, isn't this just bureaucracy getting in the way? I mean, I know I'm trivialising things here. Well, no, it's not. It, it's it's there because it's been tested. Right. Uh, 70 years of diesel and and now 20 years of LNG 
has been tested, has been sharpened, has been really spot on on getting to a safe working environment. Um, what we need to do with alternative fuel is show that how we want to operate it is at a safety equivalent level as the other fuels. And, and by doing this, these steps and by, by uh, implementing uh, hydrogen or, or methanol in our ships, we can showcase to classification societies, to the authorities, to the, the IMO, that it really works and that the current le legislation which we're deviating from is too restrictive. IMO stands for International Maritime Organization and is a specialized agency of the United Nations responsible for regulating shipping. Now Ben, earlier you mentioned infrastructure and I, I got the impression that you were talking about bottlenecks, hurdles, barriers as a consequence of the lack of infrastructure. Can you expand on that? That's right, I mean, we're developing the technology to be able to use the gases, but we've got to be able to have the, uh, the opportunity to refuel quickly and, right. and, and, you know, if we can do that offshore, even better. I mean, uh, short sea operations can be refueled from land, but eventually if you want to use some of that, uh, those fuels, we need to be able to transfer those fuels to the, to the vessels in all ports around, and, uh, yeah. and that's a huge amount of infrastructure for that. Yeah, when you look, look at the fleet, for example, that Fugro is using, we go everywhere in the world. We go, go to the most remote places that, that you can think of. And if we, if we trans translate to a different fuel, we also need to bunker that fuel in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Yeah. Or uh, at, the, at, the, at the polar uh, polar caps, if we would work there at the north of Norway or uh, the south of uh, Argentina. So getting it there is really the issue. Yes. And, and, and methanol is, is, is a commodity already available globally, but it's a chemical commodity. It's not globally available as a fuel. So that's a different uh, uh, distribution network that, that we need. And, uh, and uh, the bottleneck is going from the one to the other. And even from my limited perspective, I can see that this is an enormous bottleneck. This is an enormous investment, mind shift to, to, to make that change. No, it, and it needs, it needs a volume of, of the whole supply chain, including the ship owners, to go to alternative fuels to be able to enable uh, the infrastructure parties, the fuel, fuel producers, to start doing that, to produce the fuel, to get it to the uh, remote locations or the non-remote locations to get it here in London. I mean, is, is, have we got a bit one of those chicken and egg situations? Nobody's going to do this until that happens and that's not advanced enough. It is, and what we've seen in the, uh, with the LNGs that has happened for 10 years long, that people have, have waited on each other to yes. be able to go to LNG. And then at some stage, someone stepped in and said, okay, we're going to give you fuel everywhere in the world. And then they bought ships. What we're doing now, together with uh, the partners on Methanol, uh, um, we're building a ship and we're showing to the rest of the world we want Methanol. And there are other very large industry uh, players that are also doing that. And they're also securing the Methanol that they need. And the production of hydrogen on site is key. I mean, hydrogen takes energy to make it. And therefore, if you've got places that have excess energy, whether it's wind farms on a windy day when the national grid's full or wave power in Norway when you know the national grid's full. If you can make it on site there and that becomes then a fueling station to be uh, you know something to be enhanced. Very good. So we're just going to cut back to your uh, previ our previous discussions around hydrogen. Uh, I'd like to ask you 
Why have you chosen hydrogen? Quite often uh, the maritime industry follows on what's happening on land, especially in the tech side of it as well. But hydrogen, of course, is being used on our, on our buses around the cities already. And so the technology is, is quite advanced in, in that already. Marinising that, I mean, most of the hydrogen systems that we've got on land are, are air-cooled. On, on the water side of it, uh, air cooling in salt water environments is not good for the components and they uh, will degrade very quickly. Uh, and so the development that we're doing is the water cooled side of it uh, to, be able to, use, um, to be able to use it. But see, it's quite far advanced anyway, the production of hydrogen anyway. So if we can bolt onto that and, and, and use it more in the maritime environment, then um, for me that seems like a natural progression that's already got a lot of momentum already. Thank you. So I'd like to move our conversation on to current affairs. Well, frankly, we, we can't ignore them. The impact of the pandemic and the impact of the war. Obviously, it's had a, uh, an immediate impact on fuel prices, and you've touched on that earlier, but maybe you can both expand on, you know, we, we talked a bit about the policy changes, and a lot of these things creep through very slowly. This just hit us in the face. Now, where's the positives to be taken away, and, and, and where are we trapped in a corner as a result of these changes? I think the positives for me is that, you know, rise fuel prices uh, increases the demand for um, alternatives and therefore it does push this uh, technology further. Uh, from, from our point of view, from um, you know, how it's affecting us directly, um, and from a manufacturing point of view, it's, uh, it's made a huge difference. I mean, we've got parts that uh, have lead items of six months now turning into more than a year. Uh, and that's longer than we take to actually build a vessel. Yeah. And so <laughs> if we've got to keep up with that, uh, that, that purchasing arrangement, we've actually got to pre-order this stuff before we get an order of the vessel, which is, which is crazy. I mean, this is a real negative. We've got, we've got a, a partial solution here, but it's been hindered by the problem itself, and it's sort of nullifying the whole thing. But what you now see with the fuel prices, with the skyrocketing fuel prices, is that the interest is, is exponentially growing because the alternative fuels have not yet risen to that uh, level and uh, uh, have always been held back by the difference in fuel price and, and a con uh, conversion price. Now that, that balance is changing and of course the current fares are temporary, nobody knows how long it will take, a year, a month, five years, who knows, but uh, with, with Europe aiming to turn away from the Russian gas and uh, um, to look towards energy independency. The expectation at the moment is that the fuel prices will remain high and therefore uh, it, it has a, it's, well, maybe it's uncomfortable to say, but it has a positive impact on the change towards alternative fuels. It is uncomfortable to say, we all feel that, don't we? But the reality is, if we can get through those supply chain issues, this is a real positive to make a step change and accelerate the programme that you're on. It is a catalyst. It is a catalyst, yes. And the same goes for the pandemic. Uh, when you look at uh, uncrewed operations, is when we couldn't get people back on board or clients back on board or survey back on board uh, from a classification society, we did that remote. And before the pandemic, that was not allowed. Now it is. Working remote, working with vessels like Seekit, is generally more accepted and, and uh, because of the pandemic. It probably took us forward, what, two, three or four years of, we've probably got to this position at some point, but you know, we've, been, we've brought that forward quite considerably. I, I think when you look at uh, the developments of both the pandemic and, and the uh, Ukraine crisis or war, uh, I think both 
has, has skipped the technology or the acceptance of the technology by four to five years. And that really sets people thinking. And uh, what, what previously wasn't happening because there wasn't a, a, a ship operating on hydrogen or on, on methanol or etc. Now it's, we want it. So there, the urgency is there to start creating the legislation to be able to, to get there. I'd like to move our conversation on to the implications of commercial shipping because I know you'll be able to comment on that. And obviously, these are big players. Um, and of course, we're talking about mainly survey vessels and they are smaller in number. But what is happening in that area of commercial shipping? What, what progress is being made? What direction are they taking? Are they leading? Well, what, what you see is that a lot of vessel owners are not doing anything. The ones that are, are very keenly looking on what is the best solution for me. What is acceptable in the uh, infrastructure that I uh, work with, the ports that I come to. And, and from there, uh, they make a decision and they make steps to enable the technology development that we uh, discussed earlier. Is this a positive you're talking about or is this a negative? Oh, this is positive. So they, they are making the decision and they are as, as we try to do, leading the way for the industry to, uh, to uh, develop the technology to be able to, to spread that to the rest of the market, to enable the other ship owners to more easily trans, trans, translate to a different fuel and thereby creating the volume to start using it and replace diesel as, an, uh, as a main uh, mar maritime fuel. And the situation you described there does that go for all commercial shipping companies? At some stage, yes. And, and that's, that's where legislation comes in. And, and, and the target is that, currently the target is that we need to re reduce as large shipping 70% uh, carbon emissions by 2050. My expectation is that that uh, target will sharpen, that we will need to be there earlier. For example, uh, the European Union is already targeting an earlier uh, date for a net zero instead of 70% reduction. So that process is already ongoing that, and people need to be aware that if you, if you want to target a reduction of 70% in 2050 and you have a lifespan of 30 years of a ship, then the ship that you build in 2030 is still in operation and that need, then needs to be net zero. I'm always keen to highlight those in any industry that are really stepping forward and doing good things. Is there, is there a, a shipping, commercial shipping company that you could highlight, which is making bold steps in the right direction from your perspective? Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, Maersk is, uh, is making really bold steps. In, uh, uh, they have ordered 12, I believe it's 12 large container vessels uh, to be able to operate on methanol. They have secured a methanol supply for those vessels to be operatable in the next 20, 30 years. And one of those vessels has the same diesel capacity as our, as our full fleet. So for size, so one of the 12. So for size, it's immense. And, and they have already said that they will uh, move initially to, uh, to methanol for everything that they will build new. 
and uh, are also looking at ammonia for dedicated appliances. Very good. I think you said earlier, uh, not here, but when we were talking earlier, that if, if one of these groups turn right, everybody else turns right or something. I mean, because the, 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 of the scale. Yes, so Fugra, Fugra has 25 ships. We're, we're, we're big, but we're not that big. Uh, so if we turn right, nobody follows. If Maersk turn right with their thousands of ships, half the world fleet will follow at some stage. You can just visualize that, can't you? Wonderful. So, how do we get to this net zero target then? Let's talk solutions. It's very easy. We need to start now. Everybody needs to start now. If you want to reach a target within the next 30 years, 40 years, you need to figure out what is the fuel that you want to use. What is the best fit for you? And, uh, and start with that. Because time is short. From my point of view, you know, getting rid of direct drive diesel engines needs to stop straight away. You know, get straight into the electric side of stuff. Um, mm. Because then you're future-proofing the vessel. And, and you can take advantage of any of the um, fuels, or all of the fuels that we've, uh, we've talked about before. Mm. And you know, if, you, if you're building a direct um, diesel driveline vessel, you're already um, putting it in the, in the fossil fuel category, so. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to name and shame, but I mean, surely we're not still doing that sort of thing. No, we, we, we uh, uh, our new building program from the last 10 to 12 years has all been diesel electric. We've, we've crossed that river already in 2008 yes. and, uh, and moved to diesel electric for, for our current fleet. And we see that our fleet is very efficient for what it does. And uh, we, we are also looking at, we also charter in other vessels and we are very specifically looking for that, that type of solution, a diesel electric solution for the vessels that we use because that really changes how much fuel a vessel use. That's really important. Also for uh, the, the commercial side from, uh, from the fuel price, how much fuel do you use on a project? And, and not every vessel can jump straight into this and so I mean looking what Fuga have done with taking the leap into using some of the secret vessels. Uh, they've gone out there in Australia and proven 95% of, uh, of fuel saving. So it's a massive leap. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's huge. I love, I love to repeat some of these numbers sometimes. 95% is a massive saving, isn't it? No, definitely. Uh, we're banking on it. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we cannot do everything on our cruise ships. The world's banking on it, of people taking action like this. Yes, but as Frugro, we are also banking on technology from Seekit, for example, or from others. To, 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 and again, it's a mix, and, and uncrewed, uh, unmanned operation is, is, is definitely a big part of that mix. Because the scale is so different. And the 95% 95, 95 reduction, I won't say it's enough, but it's almost there. Well, I think that's why 95% is is a number which resonates and it really is nearly there. I mean, if we could start to say 95% reduction in so many areas, we're well on the way. This is an incredible achievement. And it is through collaboration and it is through a clear vision, which started to use your words, Peter, not today, but yesterday. You were, you were quoting years in the past where these journeys began. It's fantastic. So we'll leave it there. We'll wind up by those three phases I normally use, which is be safe, be remarkable, be the difference. And this story today has really resonated with all three of those. Thank you very much. Thank you.